131. This is Greg Duncan. And this is Martin Woodward, back after after a long hiatus, yeah. You know, I heard we had my uh, namesake on, so I figured I better get on the show quick, (laughs) just to make it confusing for everybody. Yeah, it can't be confusing enough, especially for me. You know, I was like, okay, we have Martin and we have Martin, and and I'm just glad we don't have a third Martin, because that would be awesome. And you can't understand a word either of us say, so it's a special So speaking of that, uh, let me introduce Martin Hinchelwood. Martin helped organizations to deliver better software faster by adopting DevOps and agility using Visual Studio, TFS, VSTS, Azure, and Scrum. He's been a consultant for six years and previously had 10 years experience in engineering software solutions. Martin founded Naked Agility Limited where, when he returned to the UK in 2013 with the belief that every company deserves high quality working software delivered in a regular cadence that meets its customers' needs. Martin's been awarded the Visual Studio ALM MVP every year since 2008. He's been an ALM Ranger since 2010. He has attained his MCSD Application Lifecycle Management in 2012. 2014, he co-authored Professional Application Lifecycle Management with Visual Studio 2013 and is often called on Microsoft to present to customers at events on ALM DevOps and agility. I was supposed to be present to customers and at ease, but you all, you all got because you're used to me screwing up these bios. <laughs> and anyway, Martin also became a professional Scrum trainer with Scrum.org, Ken Schwaber's organization in 2010, and currently teaches public and private courses on professional Scrum foundations, professional Scrum master, professional Scrum developer, and scaled professional Scrum. In 2013, he became an evidence-based management consultant, which I have no idea what that is. I want to make sure we ask him what evidence-based management is um, with Scrum.org and uses evidence-based management techniques to help customers understand where to make improvements. Martin Hinchelwood, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, feel very welcome. <laughs> I just evidence-based, blah, 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 then, Martin. I didn't even catch that. See, I can't understand Martin either. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, you know, what's the... Uh, hang on. Say that again, Greg. What was it? Evidence-based, evidence-based management. There you go. Ev- ev- yeah, evidence-based management. It's uh, uh, how would I describe that? It's a, a, a thing from Scrum.org. Mm-hmm. Um, they realize that a lot of organizations have great difficulty understanding whether they are making improvements or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they came up with some tools and some techniques uh, to help organizations understand where they currently are, where they might be able to make improvements, you know, where are the baby steps they need to take and then monitor how much progress they're making as they go. Um, so it's an offering from Scrum.org uh, to help organizations improve their processes, practices and, and agility. Cool. So it's not it's like... When we, when, we, when we mean evidence-based, do you mean in evidence in terms of improving your processes or just evidence in terms of improving your business in general? So uh, both, because okay. one has an effect on the other. If you make software and you know the, 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 uh, the amount of money you make versus the amount of money it costs to make the software is a telling indication of kind of how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of other, other metrics in there. So it's about collecting evidence. But funnily enough, the, the, the most managers make decisions on how to do things uh, based on no evidence at all. Based on gut yeah. feel, based on. Just I, wish, I wish I could work for some of them. You should, you should see the, number, the numbers we have to produce for our management chain to get to get a decision to be made. But that's a good thing, I guess. Sure, but uh, but also, are they the right metrics? Do they actually yeah. help improve? I'm sure Microsoft does a good job of uh, figuring out what those uh, things are, but many companies don't. Um, and just having some kind of quantification to say what that might uh, might look like is uh, very useful for lots of organizations. Cool. So is it well, like... Hey, Greg, I'll oh, go on, carry on, Greg. Yeah, is it like a baby Six Sigma thing or totally unrelated? To... It's, 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 not even, it's not even that... that that formal uh, Scrub.org have something called the the Agility Path Guide, uh, which is a guide to you know help organizations <laughs> down that road to, to to agility. And this is the just like implementing Scrum is hard, making changes in your organization in the culture is hard. Uh, so they they have training and expertise in some of their trainers who are evidence based management consultants. Uh, of, for Scrum.org that are able to uh, help companies navigate that path 
maybe a little bit more more easily. Uh, it, it's 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 fairly useful. They've got they've got some tools around it as well for collecting the data, producing some metrics, and it's it's really good for um, just helping organizations figure out what the next step is. You know, they have to take the next step. They have to do it. Uh, but figuring out what the next step is is sometimes one of the hardest things that organizations do. Cool. Awesome. So we've got some news items. Now, we, we've got a lot of news items. We're going to go through them really quickly. Uh, the, the first one, and we'll actually talk about this a little bit, uh, the MVP award have been updated. A rather dramatic change on it. Uh, so Mark, I've got some questions. First of all, yeah. what do you guys think to it? And <laughs> what's the reaction been like in the community? I'm, in, I'm interested. So tell, tell people what for Inside Baseball, because it'd be, it'd be like four or five people who listen to this who aren't MVPs. So explain to them what's changed. And then, like, um, yeah, what do you think and what's the reaction been? Well, the, the change is, is that they're going from a quarterly announcement of new MVPs to monthly. So instead of being a January MVP or April, I, I always wanted to be an April Fool's MVP. I just thought that was awesome. Um, they're going to monthly re- uh, announcements of new MVP and renewals are all happening July 1st. Mm. So there's just that one celebrating our renewing MVPs that, that, that one time. And um, they've also added some benefits like, I don't know if I can... Uh, now, there was some stuff in the blog post. Yeah, yeah. No, there was one that was really cool that I took advantage of this weekend um, that is not public yet, which is a shame. Okay. But the MVP, we, we now have access, MVPs have access to the Xamarin University. Um, we're getting discounts on two M- MCP exams. Oh, they do. Have that We have um, securing priority registration for MVPs at Microsoft Premier Conferences, like the one that's coming up in May. Um mm. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. No, no scrambling to try to get into build. Oh, so they actually managed to do it in time for build, did they? Yes. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. I knew there was some doubt if they were going to be able to do that or not. So that's brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, and that's what I took advantage of this weekend. Sent the email okay. in. They gave me the RSVP code. I registered. I, I'm currently going to build. Now I don't know if it's actually approved because that code's only good for 48 hours, and oh. know, I had to do it this weekend. But uh, oh, we'll see. see. Oh, that's good. We can have the usual, completely inaccurate prediction of what what, <laughs> what what's going to happen at build. <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, so it seems this seems this seems like good things. Uh, you know, from a completely from somebody who isn't an MVP anymore. Yeah. So uh, now, but obviously, cheese has been moved. So have been people been annoyed, or have people generally received it well? Martin, I want to hear what you think. What do you think about these I, changes? I haven't, I haven't seen anybody being being particularly annoyed. I, I mean, I kind of like the idea of the monthly renewals. The quarterly yeah. was always a bit of a pain. Um, and having everybody on the same renewal cadence is potentially a little bit weird. If you got made an MVP just after the renewal cadence, then you're an MVP for, what, 18 months before you actually get renewed again. That's a bit weird, but I'm sure they'll figure that stuff out. Um, yeah, I mean, it all, all sounds good to me. I, I didn't like not having an MVP summit this year. That's right. Yeah. I pushed that. Yeah, nobody likes they, that. Are you glad they moved they it, or are they glad we're not having one this year? Um... I don't know. I I wish they would have had it. I, I kind of liked where where when they had it. You know, um, I don't know, but I do like that. At least they have announced the dates well in advance. Yeah, you know, we're not like you know we're not there in like July or August wondering when the MVP summit's going to. Yeah, I need to need to book my trip to Hawaii before the MVP summit. That's what I need to do. <laughs> now, well, I, cool. Use all uh, the uh, Hopefully, hopefully, with them being monthly, though, we'll get a few. You know, we'll get more people coming into the MVP program, and hopefully, it'll all be good. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I I I don't know. I I, I liked the quarterly things. The, Beyond, like I already mentioned, because I liked it because, you know, there was a predictable time when you would see the, the renewals and the news. I also hated it because every three months, everybody is, you know, blogging about, oh, I got an MVP or I got renewed. I got an MVP. So now we'll just have that one blast on uh, yeah. July 1st. Well, hey, it's a privilege to be in. So it's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I already signed up for my Xamarin University and was, was going through some of the courses this weekend. Nice. So um, we also had some uh, some quite got, got quite a lot of traffic. Um, Saeed was over in uh, Git Merge in Belgium this weekend, which I missed unfortunately. I was sad to miss everybody. Um, and Fosdem as well was on the same 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 weekend, same city, but I couldn't make it this weekend. Um, however, he announced the um, 
GVFS, so the Git virtual file system that they've been working on inside of Microsoft, which is this really wacky thing that is the typical, what does Martin know? Because, you know, when they told me about this, I was like, what? You're doing what now? So basically, um, and so so you did a post, and then Brian Harry's also got a post which delves into a bit more detail behind this, like why on earth we came up with this sort of thing. So they're both worth a read, and we'll put a link into the show notes to both of them. But um, basically... The problem they were trying to solve is Windows wanted to move to Git, and that's, like, insane is the problem. Uh, And they tried to solve it, like, when I was around on the team, we tried to, like, one way to solve it was, um, bearing in mind, like, all this source code used to be in, like, 26 Source Depot repositories. It was so big it couldn't fit in one Source Depot repository, which is a centralized version control system, you know, designed for this sort of thing. Um, and then they're trying to move it into, like, one Git repository, which isn't designed for this sort of thing. So I was like, no, what you've got to do, first of all, is, you know, modulize, break it down, blah, blah, blah. And um, which is really what you should do. And then and then they decided that they wanted to move to Git and not have to wait for that. They are modularizing and they are pulling things out, but they also wanted to move to Git in the entirety. And Brian explains a bit more, you know, the motivations to this. And then, um, yeah, and so this is the kind of the technical solution they came up with by using um, so, some virtualized file system stuff to basically kind of a bit like um, OneDrive does, you know, it kind of like shadows out files um, so they appear to exist on disk so all the Git tools can work and do stuff and then pulls them in when you need them, only when you need them. And, um, to, and to, be, to be fair, Martin, uh, uh, OneDrive used to work that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> OneDrive occasionally works that way and then occasionally doesn't work that way and then it flip-flops, you know? So you know what I mean, but it does that yeah. sort of thing. So um, yeah. it's fascinating. It's it's amazing bit of engineering. It's all being released open source. Um, there's some stuff that's coming along, you know, and improvements on it. I'm still, you know, we'll still see how it goes. Like I say, I haven't heard, um, I haven't spoken to that side for a, a little while, see things, how things are going. But yeah, it's pretty amazing what they're trying to do. And, you know, the, the Facebook guys have tried to do kind of similar stuff. So, you know, they've had challenges trying to scale um, Mercurial to support Facebook. And they were talking about that at Git mode as well. So it's a problem you've got. You, you're, be- you're best off if you can avoid the problem in the entirety, though, and not have repositories that big. Um, so that's the first lesson. But uh, this is an example where, you know, big bangs, never work and you have to be able to gradually roll out to things and this is an example where they're trying to they're trying to move one thing without trying to move everything so it's, it's good they're making progress yeah i think the big news item was that you know the windows code base has over 3.5 million files and is 270 gig inside <laughs> a clone yeah. would take 12 plus hours just if assuming you had the drive space uh yeah, yeah so imagine, imagine trying to be a remote employee for this <laughs> Uh, I was two years ago, and you're know, trying to take an enlistment on that bad boy. You know, it's uh, it's not good fun over a over a DSL connection. So no, it's um, they've got some unique challenges. And when they're, when they're talking about like, one of the things we do a lot of times, you know, when we're open sourcing stuff in the company, um, is getting build systems and source control systems sane, and getting build systems sane so that they can actually build. You know, it takes a long time to build all that source code. So, um, yeah. Anyway, we're getting there. So, uh, um, you know, that's one of the things that slows down. That's why, like, .NET Framework never got never got fully open source, but .NET Core did because mm-hmm. we just went and did it so that you could press F5. You know, in Visual Studio with .NET Core, but you can't with .NET Framework because it uses an insane amount of tools all strapped together and is massive enlistments and big monolithic blah. And that's what we try and break up whenever we're open sourcing something. So, awesome. so um, these other items we're going to go through them fast. Uh, TFS process template editor for TFS 2017 and Visual Studio 2017 is now available. And it's a standalone installer uh, on the Visual Studio Marketplace. Like just like all a lot of the other power tools, uh, power tools, they've been um they've been all ripped out and are individually available. The TFS template editor is out there as well. Very cool. Um, Richard Fennell's just done a blog post explaining how to take um, a release template from TFS 2015 and push it out to VSTS. VSTS obviously moves very quick, and so uh, there's some new stuff in the VSTS one that isn't in TFS, and so this kind of was a little bit of code to help you do that transformation. And then speaking of Richard Fennell, um, he's also done a, um, a new release of his uh, the release templates VSTS task. Mm-hmm. Have either of you guys tried this one yet? Because I know release a release note. Sorry, is something that that people have often asked about. I haven't tried this particular plugin myself yet. I want to give it a go. It, it sounds awesome. I, I I 
generally don't do release notes because, you know, I just make stuff up as I go along. But <laughs> You're a consultant. You don't need to. You know. Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, it does sound useful. Recommended it to a few customers. Yeah, I'm going to give it a go. It looks pretty good. So, yeah, so uh, we'll check that out. And then another one quickly for me, Greg. Um, uh-huh. Colin Dembovsky is, has released his um, checking policies for VS 2017. So if you're using some checking policies there, then uh, Colin Dembovsky's ones were pretty awesome. Um, and so he's just done an updated release of those. Things like the code review and the, the making sure you've got a work item associated, things like that, you know. So go take do a look. people still use TFVC? <laughs> I was going to ask the same do- thing. <laughs> People do. Well, this is the old advantage. This is the whole thing about pre, pre-checking validation versus post-checking validation as well, which is an interesting discussion to have. I was, I've was, i always been uh, much more of a fan of post-checking validation because at least you've got the code off a Dell developer's box onto somewhere safe now. So, uh, But anyway, there we go. So um, you listeners out there know that, that I was in Jira for a while. Um, luckily, we're not anymore. But uh, I saw this and I knew I had to cha- uh, share it. Uh, I, I am... Not going to pronounce, uh, try to pronounce your name, Mr. Rodriguez, but uh, he's got a cool post on how to import from Jira to VSTS. So if you're making that move, check out the post. We'll have the links in the show notes. Very cool. And then uh, Richie Gemayara has done a, um, a post all around task versioning for um, TFS and VSTS builds. So um, it's a uh, it's basically just an extension point that'll allow you to uh, to do this, but obviously in the um, the new world. So yeah, he's it's, it's had it for a while, um, and it allows you to come in and and do it now. So. Cool. Uh, Donovan Brown, who we had recently had on the Woo-hoo. show for show of the year, released a um, PowerShell gallery module called Team. And it's uh, a PowerShell module that exposes portions of the REST API for Visual Studio Team Services and TFS. So like, uh, you know, get pool, get project, add project, remove build, get build, add, add a project, you know, all of these kind of TFSC administrative kind of things uh, are all there and they're all bundled into a PowerShell module. This is awesome because we, I mean, I don't know, do the power, are the power tools still a thing? Because we used to have like some PowerShell support for um, TFS back in the day, but this is cool because it's all around creation of projects itself and Art, things like that, isn't it? Don't, don't kid yourself. You really didn't. No. <laughs> it was there. Somebody wrote it, but I don't. I never actually used it that much. It, 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 didn't, it. it didn't usually. It didn't seem to do much useful or much in many of the tasks that you seem to want to perform over PowerShell. It yeah, focused well, in other areas, but these yeah, look really good. definitely very good. Cool. Well, good, good job, Donovan. On top of the Yo Team stuff as well, he's um, he's really cranking it out. It's quite impressive. Yeah. Oh, hey, um, Paul Hacker did a post about uh, VSTS variable groups. Did you read that one? So this is when, you, you know, when you're working with, um, when you're doing releases and you're working with groups of variables. So um, he just explains how that works and how you set that up and how you configure them so that you can um, work with your variables. Easy for me to say. So you can work with your variable groups and manage them. And this is basically what you commonly do, you know, when you move in between environments. You have these groups of variables that you need to, your groups of variables that you need to change between environments. And so this explains that a bit more. It's a pretty good post. Yeah, yeah. I saw that, and it's like, that's another reason why I want to get our TFS 2017 um, on-prem off the ground. We're still in low mm. mode. But, uh, Paul also had an interesting post that's worth thinking about, which is around trying to get your – you know how um, you know we're, we're moving to the DevOps world and we're all trying to have – you know, be, be a team. So not just an agile team with the customer and the developer working together, but also having the people who are running the service, you know, all to, all in one place. And the essential part of that is obviously having the DBA be part of the team. And this is a post which kind of talks through some of that and some of the dynamics that you run into there. So it's worth thinking about. Angela, who really wanted to be on the show, but in the end wasn't able to and was very upset. Um, so we have to invoke her name. Mm-hmm. Also has been blogging about uh, the, the ugly side of like development, the messiness of ALM and DevOps consulting. So she's got a good one here, the fear, a major speed bump on the road to quality. So she talks about, yeah, that road and, you know, those speed bumps. As a scrum master, here's the things that you do, uh, you know, trying, 
you know, tying all these things back to quality that you're doing. It's a great post if you're looking for like a real world, somebody who's been trying to do Scrum and is working at Scrum and has been at a lot of places to do. Very cool. And hey, Greg, we haven't had the Rangers yet. So uh, I don't know. Should we, have we, have the Rangers been up to much this, this past uh, couple of weeks? Uh, they've been doing a lot, man. I, we got four things we want to talk about really quickly on the Rangers. <laughs> the, the first one is version one of the Sonar Cube arm template. Uh, yeah, don't worry. If you want to do Sonar Cube, you're out there uh, in Azure already. This is by far the way to do it. I mean, it'll nice. your IIS, do the website for Sonar Cube, do the application request routing, generate the self-signed certificate, disable the firewall, configure the AR proxy settings, all, all of that stuff. And then it's all part of this ARM template. Wow. And I'm just looking at the team who did that. You know, congrats. Too, too many to read out, but lots of our uh, friends and colleagues from, you know, from uh, around the um, MVP universe and things helped out on that. So I need to get into the ARM templates. It's something I've not, not played much with yet. I really need to. Uh, also, uh, our co-host, who also wanted to be here but couldn't, Josh Garverick, Mateus Skold, and Urtush Shin. You know what? Forget it. You guys just have to have simpler names. That's that's just what it's got to be. Uh, they released an offline test execution. Basically, you can put this stuff into an Excel spreadsheet and then um, import that Excel spreadsheet into a VSTS. So if you've got your QA people, they are just much more comfortable doing it in Excel. Here it is. That's Simple, really cool. Free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Willie blogged about something that I, I, I thought was really cool. And I hear a lot, not being a Git guy, unfortunately. Yes, uh, Mr. Hinch, there are some people on TFVC like me at work. Um, so, you know, I, I'm still trying to, as much as I hate to say it, wrapping my head around Git. Uh, they got a common question here that to fork or not to fork a Git repository. And Willie has some guidelines as to when's a good time to fork, uh, when should you, you know, and when should you not? Mm. Now, and then Book, I notice, again, I'm totally out of the loop on all this stuff, but Book seemed to be hinting last show that there's some features coming along around forking. So, because yeah. right now the answer is never because uh, VSTS doesn't really help you do it. But, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> but it sounds like it sounds like an area that they were thinking about judging about from the comments last week with book. So that's good. Working would be good. Yeah. Lastly, yep. we have a team project health extension by uh, Wilder Decord, who we had on the show, Jacob N. Arkush and Ed Elliott. And this is an early preview showcasing the concept behind these build widgets. Uh, they're going to be doing additional views for releases and, and enhancing the configura- configurability of it. But it's it's really kind of nice. It's it's one dashboard that talks about your build health overview. It has the build details. Again, it's available and it's free. And if I'm checking now, it's very likely. It's not open source yet, is it not? Open source. Oh. Let's go have a check, chat to them. Yeah. Don't worry. Work. I'll, I'm sure send, come out, though. I'll send in the ninjas. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right. So where are we at? We're about 20, 20 minutes in, and we can finally talk, start talking to Mr. Hinch. Mr. Hinch. Hey, hey Martin. How are you doing? Good to speak to you. Where, where are you in the world right now? It's always a good question, Martin. I am in my Cancun office. Nice. So you're working remote this week. I'm, I'm working remotely this week. I'm working for a customer who uh, has offices all over the world, and they kind of don't mind where I am. They actually have an office in Houston, so it's roughly the same time zone as I'm in. Nice. And it works, works pretty well because no matter where I go on site in their organization, I'm always dealing with people who aren't on the same site as me. So I may as well Very be cool. Well, it's the weather's a darn sight nicer than it, darn sight nicer than it is over in Scotland right now. So uh, you're in the right place, sir. Yeah, it's about it's about 28 degrees. So that's pretty good. That's 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 real degrees, Greg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Greg's going. That's freezing. What are you yeah, I'm like what? <laughs> anyway, so, so what's uh, what's your yeah? What's your? I mean, this is a question that Greg likes to do, but I'm going to steal yeah. it. What's your um? So apart from waking up, looking out onto a beautiful beach, and you know, having nice whatever pineapple drinks, what's your, what's like a what's a good day? What's a typical day in the life of Martin Hinchwood like? Well, I think it really depends on on what 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 I what I'm doing that week. Um, I have various different types of things that I do with customers. 
Sometimes it's just at the moment I'm doing a lot of migration work. Uh, so I'm migrating customers from, uh, uh, well, from other things into TFS, from, <laughs> TFS, from TFS into TFS, and from TFS up to VSTS. Uh, my my big customer at the moment has about seven and a half thousand people. Uh, they have about uh, thirty eight collections around the company uh, that they're moving all to VSTS. Hmm. So it's quite a quite a big uh, chunk of work. And a lot of projects in those collections as well, are there? Uh, some of them are ridiculous. Yes. Uh, sometimes they have one 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 team project and it's still a terabyte, and other times that they have uh, you know three hundred team projects and it's two terabytes. So it just depends on, on on the different groups. You know what it's like when you when you hit a TFS server. You never know what you're going to find in there. Yeah. Um, but the, this company very big on security, so we've had all sorts. It's taken months to sort out uh, even just the security ramifications of getting a database from on-premise into uh, VSTS or pushing data up there at all. Uh, well, that's the interesting fun. thing, yeah. So what, what's the thought process been like for them getting their heads around putting source code in the cloud and test data in the cloud and things? So, so they, they, they have uh, three classific- four, four, in fact, classifications of source code. Okay. Um, and they've approved two to go up there. So basically uh, uh, public and uh, uh, what they call confidential code. Uh, sorry, public and private code is allowed to go up into the into the cloud it's really is allowed to be anywhere it's there's not anything uh, super secret ip in there it's just a bunch of code uh, but then they have uh, uh, confidential and secret which isn't allowed to go to vsts yet uh, so we're working through that uh, vsts guys are working on uh, do you know you can get uh, uh, bring your own key on azure now Oh, wow. I didn't. So Azure in general, you can do bring your own key. Uh, so uh, my customer holds the master encryption keys. Microsoft doesn't have the, the master encryption keys. They have to go ask the customer if they want to use it. I don't know. It's probably something about the Patriot Act or something like that. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, they have the encryption keys and VSTS, the, the guys at VSTS are working on trying to figure out how to allow VSTS to support that as well. And once VSTS supports that, uh, all the rest of their stuff can go as well. Wow. So that's Very that's cool. a pretty big deal. That's a yeah, big definitely. Deal. And why did but they... But other than that, it, I was just going to say, other than that, from a, from it's it's people people's general fear of cloud. Yeah. It's a completely irrational feel or fear once you understand cloud. But people think cloud is just putting stuff on the internet. Uh, when, when in fact, I'm pretty sure Microsoft's uh, what is it at the moment, Martin? Uh, is it a, is it a billion dollars that Microsoft spends on cybersecurity at the moment? I think it's about a billion dollars a year. It's a, it's a lot, yeah. It's pretty hard. Yeah, I don't have an example, but, but it's a I'm, lot. I'm pretty sure that billion dollars a year trumps every other company on the planet's uh, uh, investment in security anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 there's a lot of things you can do to convince customers, but there's definitely a hearts and minds issue with, with putting stuff in the cloud. It's always yeah. the email, isn't it? That's the, the first, like once people have kind of got their head around their email being out there, then that's, that's always the, the sort of, you know, the, the thing that breaches the, 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 the dam. I don't know. I, I, source code has IP. So yeah. as soon as you got, as soon as you got, email doesn't generally have IP. I mean, people kind of don't think of it as IP. It might actually be, but people don't think of it that way. But yeah, there, there's something special about source code. Yep, the so, family jewels. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the what other kind of consulting? Is, we're going off the track here. Like, what yeah. other consulting ha- do you do, or have you done like recently? Oh, so I, I've been doing a bunch of I call it DevOps coaching, mm-hmm. for one of a better for one of a better term. <laughs> Uh, just going and helping organizations figure out uh, uh, what they need to do next and helping teams. Sometimes I'm just going in and working with teams, sometimes with uh, whole organizations. Uh, two two weeks ago, I did a, um, an assessment. I, we used to call them ALM assessments, but I called whatever the customer wants to call them. Uh, so it's either an ALM assessment, a DevOps assessment, an Agile assessment, whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're all the same thing to me. Uh, that's helping the customer deliver better software more quickly. Um, doing an assessment for for it was a, a, in the UK for a, a government agency, uh, which was a little bit fun because they all have all sorts of weird stuff like budgets instead of uh, you know uh, profit that type of thing. Um, so doing doing uh, DevOps kind of coaching 
with organizations doing agile coaching as well uh so i i have some it's actually really weird being someone who sits in both the agile and the tools space because devops i know devops isn't really just about the tools but people think of it as about the tools and and i find that uh, some customers will hire me to be a tfs guy and I, d- I don't go anywhere near their agile stuff and then other customers will hi- hire me to do their agile stuff because i'm a tfs guy but then they don't let me anywhere near their tfs stuff because people have this belief that the agile and tools can't play nice together mm. and, and i think i think that that while there's a lot of people for which that is true i think a, a lot more people in our space uh, martin especially the the mvps around mm-hmm. alm and uh, we tend to be very agnostic in that space. So I do agile coaching with customers as well, um, going in and just helping them with their, you know, practices, uh, with their scrum meetings, with whatever it is that they're trying to trying to do, help them move forward with that. And then I teach a bunch of courses as well, Greg. Uh, so you mentioned that uh, earlier in mm-hmm. my uh, uh, bio. I, I teach a bunch of courses for uh, scrum.org. Or, or the courses from Scrum.org, and I teach everything except the product owner course, hmm. uh, which is which is very business focused. I actually did the T prep for that and realized that I didn't want to teach it because it, <laughs> it's very very business focused. Is that because uh, you had to teach it too? <laughs> it, it, yeah. Well, I, I I don't know. I do the the Professional Scrum Foundations course is actually one of my favorite courses to teach because I go in and teach a whole organization. I did that in. Um, Oh, second week of January. Second week of January, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, second week of January. Um, I taught uh, 90 people in one company. Wow, so nice. we did two two teaches of the class back to back. We got 90 people in the company. And the first two days, I had the the CEO in the, the, the class. And the second two days, I had the CFO, uh, along with everybody all the way down to development teams. And this is for a defense company who you can imagine. That's, awesome. that's the way to do it. That's really, really, that shows a great investment from them. Oh, absolutely. There's two benefits you get. One is you level set everybody on what those words mean when we use. Yeah. People's idea of what product owner is or what scrum master is and what they should do is very different across organizations. Many people think a scrum master is a glorified project manager. Well, mm. yes, it is if you're doing it wrong, but that <laughs> that's, that's a separate thing. And having everybody's understanding mean the same as one. And the other thing is the people that have got to make the change in your organization are the people that make up your organization. So in order for them to feel like they're empowered to make the change, there has to be a significant, um, I don't know what you would call it, uh, uh, when, when management accepts that that's the way forward and tell everybody that that's the way forward. I, so I, I it, needs be, it needs to be top down as well as bottom up. Top, as well. top, 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 it needs to be top down communicated. And one way to do that is to teach everybody and then nobody is under any illusion if we're spending a whole bunch of money teaching everybody. And the, you know, the money for the course is nothing compared to the time of the people doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, and if we're going to make that type of investment, wow, management must be serious this time. Uh, well, especially I, when you see the C-levels in there. And it's quite good to get, have a course as well where you've got like the, t- the very top of the company with you know, everyone, you know, the individual, individual contributors in there as well. And they're getting to see people learning and it's it's a great. That's really what I'm it's, impressed. It's, actually, it's even better, Martin, because in the PSF, I make them write code. Nice. They, they, this is this is the for everyone class from Scrum.org, wow. and you write code in the class. You need at least one coder on the team, so the CEO doesn't have to write code. Uh, but maybe they're helping manage the backlog that's to do with writing that code, so everybody gets an understanding of what the real complexities are of building software. And I, one, in actual fact, one of the things that's super important is you you kill the idea that software is a repeatable thing. Mm. So a lot of people believe that software is repeatable, but if I can split a group into five teams and they all build the same piece of software from the same backlog, and every single one of them looks different, then uh, uh, it's fairly obvious that it's a a different thing. That's the sort of thing I've been working on. So, Martin, I've got a question for you. We had um, Donovan Brown, we already mentioned, and we had some feedback to what something that Donovan said. And Donovan was very adamant that, you know, if you're not doing Agile, you're going to fall behind. You have to move towards Agile. And Rod sent us an email. I'm going to read real quickly uh, a paragraph, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, However, I know from my own experience, it's true. uh, You see, I work for one of the largest departments in my state's government. We use Waterfall. It's Waterfall or nothing. They've probably been using Waterfall since Waterfall came out. 
out. I don't know all the reasons for this. I suspect some of it's political in nature. One reason I know is because Waterfall is the holy, has the most holy of terms requirements. Requirements are synchroset. To the best of my knowledge, no agile methodology supports that. Um, now, one of his friends mentioned a scaled agile fr- uh, framework, but he's been trying to bring that up at work and has gotten a really cold response. In short, he's saying that some entities such as government agencies actually have the luxury of not having any competition and normally due to some law or regulation that gives the government sole right to do something. Uh, so there's no drive, no push, no need to go agile. Now, you said you've worked with at least government agencies in in the UK. Uh, yeah. Are are they truly, you know, even these things, these these, you know, somewhat rigid organizations, they're still looking to move to agile. Yeah, yes. So there's some, there's some interesting things uh, kind of going on in the world just now. Uh one is that the the British government has wholeheartedly moved to agile and requires mm-hmm. that if they're going to be giving a department budget and money to spend, they have to be doing agile. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've been uh, a gov dot you is it yeah gov.uk uh they have a whole uh, section on what is agile what is devops and here's what you really should be doing Uh, that's coming from the british government and something that i think has been a big change in the industry recently is that in in I think it was around 2010, 2011, uh, the U.S. Uh, Defense Department realized that everything they put out to tender, tender when it got delivered, it sucked. Um, it, it just wasn't what they expected it to be. It wasn't what they wanted, and they had to spend 10 times as much money making it right. So and yet put, it met, the, it met the, what was it, given in their requirements document. because yeah, uh, it met, met the requirements document, yeah. and it was even if it was on time, on budget with the signed off in blood requirements, um, it still wasn't the right thing. So, so what were they going to do? So they actually pulled in uh, uh, people like uh, Kent Beck, Jeff Sutherland, a bunch of uh, uh, agile uh, uh, bigwigs in the community and said, what's wrong with our procurement rules? Um, and well, I think the answer was, you know, everything. But uh, uh, if there's a small thing you could change, uh, they made some some significant changes. Well, they, I guess they were small, but they're significant uh, changes to the U.S. government procurement rules. Uh, so as of 2013, the U.S. Defense Department procurement rules now require that uh, uh, people delivering anything to them, whether it's software or hardware, do it in an incremental iterative manner showing nice. working product at all times now this is just slowly filtering out to the rest of the industry because you know if you've ever worked with defense companies or with a uh, government you'll know they're a little bit slow um but the, the the they're slowly coming around to the realization that they have to move to agility and being that almost every consulting company in the world works with the u.s defense department at some in some way, shape, or form, even if it's through a third party, uh, they were all required to do waterfall up until that that release of the, the the new procurement rules. Now they're required to do agile, so they're slowly changing. And if if either of you guys have been involved with agile, uh, you'll know that you can't do both agile and waterfall with the same people. Um, it's just not possible. You would just have all your agile people would leave in droves uh, if you make them do waterfall again. So organizations are moving. Uh, uh, to support their customer base moving towards agility and everybody else has to come with them as well. So that helps. And the key thing there as well is governments are one of the, like, there are places where because of the way contracts are set up, doing meeting agile is harder, you know, oh, and that's, that, that's but, not just, that's not just in, not exactly, just in but government. this isn't government, like government needs to be agile because government has these things called like, you know, they have set deadlines where things need to have happened and they have these things called politicians that randomly change the rules at any point in time and want instant changes. And so, you know, if um, government still needs to do business and deliver predictably, but the requirements keep changing and they will always keep changing. And so governments need to, government IT need is one of the most, you know, places where agile is needed the most, you know, so, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, sorry, let's, let's get off. So let's let's switch let's switch gears a bit there. Uh, how yeah. about um, you, you talk a lot about talking with um, you know, can, transferring people from random other products to TFS and VSTS and things. So what's yeah. what's that? 
what's that like? What's integrating with um, VSTS like, and how do you typically go about, you know, moving somebody over? So, so, so integrating with this VSTS and TFS is is pretty nice. It's all the other products that are really painful. <laughs> um, I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's uh, mostly it's ad hoc. I've actually been doing um, a lot of migrations from effectively from TFS to TFS is one of the main migrations I do, which sounds weird because surely you can just upgrade the server. But a lot of people created 20 team projects mm-hmm. and realized that they should have had one. And other people created one team project and realized that they should have had two or three because they got in effect, you know, they've got Windows and Xbox and Office all in one team project and go, yeah, this isn't this isn't right. This is too big. Um, but then I work, I've got a, a, a customer just now is one of the big migration customers. Had, they had one product. So this is one boxed product that ships and they had 80 teams working on this product. So it's 80 teams in 13 locations in nine different countries. Okay? So they're, they're, and they're building one product and they don't even talk to each other. And, uh, they, they, they didn't even use the same source control system. Nice. This is so going to work awesome. <laughs> you had some, some teams in, in Git, some teams in Perforce, Mercurial. They even have, a, 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 they built it themselves, source control system, kind of like Source Depot uh, internally because they've been building software that long that, you know. Hey, why wouldn't you build your own source control system? That's the best <laughs> idea ever. Well, if your choice is VSS or build your yeah. own. Kind of, kind of. Buy source yeah. offsite is what you do, but anyway, carry on. Yeah. Um, so they 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 had huge problems organizing their work, getting everything together. So I did a, a, a plan and a migration for them uh, on my own because that was just ginormous. Uh, moving everything into uh, uh, TFS, so into one team project in TFS, being that it's one project product. Uh, one deliverable should really be in one team project, in 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 my opinion, and I know there's contention there, but that's that's the way I look at it, and um, it was it was a, it was an awful lot of work. So a lot of the tools out there, um, it's very difficult to migrate. So Perforce uh, migrating with history for source control is a complete mm. fallacy, by the way. In case anybody listening thinks that it's a good idea to migrate source code with history, uh, they're completely wrong, and the costs do not outweigh the benefits. Unless you're using um, distributed version control, of course. Unless you're using distributed version control, in which case it's free to move your history. However, uh, we're not all 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 there, and certainly um, big products like you're saying with the the Windows guys are trying to solve yeah. some of the problems. Um, the, the the this particular product is a, a 20 gig branch nice. in TFEC, so it's pretty enormous. Um, oh, and my favorite thing is the number of builds they do. That's my favorite thing for this product. So in order in order to make sure this product actually ships out the door, they actually do continuous delivery, or at least some facsimile of continuous delivery. They create a build every day of this product, even when it was in 100 different source control systems. And uh, at the moment, they do 11,500 builds a day. <laughs> did, did, anybody do, did anybody do the math there? Because that's 1.2 million builds a year. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> wow. So, so one, one of my jobs this year is to move them to VSTS, which is going to be fun in itself. Uh, but they also want to move all of their builds into TFS builds because they've, they've not been using TFS builds because, you know, XAML kind of is a little bit painful. Um, so they're moving into, uh, want to move into TFS builds. And yeah, that's going to be interesting bringing one, 0.2 million builds into VSTS and keeping build output and test results. And um, I hope uh, uh, Mr. Harry's got a bigger credit card for more servers. <laughs> wow. So, so that, that, that's one of the fun things I work on. You've written a tool to help yeah. you with all this. Yes, because all, all, the, all the tools out there seem to be rather painful to use, particularly the TFS integration platform. Uh, which was the main tool. It came from Microsoft. It kind of did its job up until 2012. And I think TFS 2012 was the last version it supported. I think, is that right, Martin? Um, and support's yeah. gone. Support's completely gone for it now. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dead thing. Um, you can use it at your peril. It might mess up your TFS server. That's always fun. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I did, it focused mainly on source code migration. And work items were an afterthought, so they kind of worked in the same way that the source code migration did, which was also very painful. Uh, so I realized that since most people are moving to Git, nobody cares about source code migration anymore. Uh, people do, 
but you can usually talk them out of it. You either move them from TFVC to TFVC with no history, yeah, or from Perforce to TFS with no history. Uh, that's that's super easy. Check it out. Check it in. Mm-hmm. Um, or you move them to Git. And if you're moving to Git, there are lots of options to move with history from almost every source control platform you can imagine. Uh, for TFS, there's a tool uh, called uh, uh, Git TFS, which is absolutely awesome. It allows you to move your entire branch history, everything across. Uh, I did it for a, 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 a team in India, and they ended up with a 13 gig uh, Git repository, uh, but that was with six, 60 active branches. Uh, so it was a pretty pretty big, and it actually performed better than their existing system because it's all running locally and their internet connection wasn't that great. So it was an upgrade for them, even though for most other people using Git, it would be considered a downgrade because it's too big. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, so so moving source code, you move you move to Git. I, I just say to customers, you can either have no history or Git. Which do you want? Uh, and they usually pick either they usually pick Git to be honest, and then they 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 end up over there. Um, so I needed something to help move the other assets around TFS. Uh, so there's lots of things that I don't migrate because I just haven't got there yet in writing it. Uh, but uh, it's a tool that allows you to migrate uh, work items, uh, areas and iteration paths, teams, uh, although not all of the metadata around teams, uh, um, uh, attachments, uh, the links between work items kind of has to happen separately because there's, there's some weird stuff in there. Uh, test test plans, test suites, um, test configurations. Uh, actually, R- Richard Fennell contributes to the repo as well. It's an open source project. Uh, it's on uh, it's on GitHub, but we publish to GitHub. We actually do all of the real work in VSTS, where it should be, uh, and then we just publish uh, the source code to and 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 out binaries and everything to to GitHub. And we'll take pull requests on GitHub as well. That's if people want to add stuff. Um, but Richard just added uh, another uh, uh, tool uh, for moving the queries across between two team projects. Uh, I haven't looked at it yet. Uh, well, I have looked at it enough to bring in the pull request, but I've not run it uh, uh, myself in anger on a customer, um, which will be, that's part of the fun. Uh, but the, the, the tool needed to be there and it needed to be some way to bring work items across uh, and, and make the team project look like it should, because many people want to split and merge team projects. Uh, so I would recommend you don't use my tool if you're moving to VSTS. Does that sound a little bit weird, Mark? Yeah. Yeah, don't use my tool if you're moving to VSTS. It will work just fine. And if you're merging team projects or splitting team projects, yeah, use my tool. But if you just want to go to VSTS, use Microsoft's TFS migrator tool. It will take your entire collection and just put it in VSTS. Cool. So that's 100% full fidelity, all your history, all your links, all your builds, everything goes up there and you're done. My tool is when that won't work for you. Like you've got a big, massive collection and one team wants to move to the STS and the rest of them don't. Well, okay, Martin, I've got a question for you r- related yeah. to that tool. You, you have, have you used the tool, the, the Microsoft migration tool? I have indeed. Okay. Um, we had a, the feedback uh, from, from Peter or from Pete, uh, who's uh, in contact with us quite a bit, one of our uh, longtime listeners. He had some questions because we talked about the migration tool last week and he had some questions like, uh, What's the transfer? What if you have like a really large uh, database, like 320 yep. gig? What's the performance like? Okay, so there's there's two migration routes that mm-hmm. Microsoft have in the tool. One is to use Blob Storage. So you basically create a DAC pack, upload the DAC pack to Blob Storage, give Microsoft the keys to Blob Storage, and they go implement. Okay, that works okay. up to about 150 gig. Beyond that, you lose performance. Yeah. Because they have to go and do all the hard work on their end, and it just takes too long. Uh, The other option is you stand up a SQL server in Azure. So you just create a public public cloud uh, SQL (laughs) server. You you bring your your database up there. Uh, You have it sitting on that server. You give Microsoft the access to that server, and they go asynchronously pull the data out. So that that works for any size of collection. I'm going to be doing a, a two terabyte collection at some point this wow. year, uh, bringing wow. that into the VSTS, and that's the way we're going to do it. We're going to, uh, uh, like I said, the current customer they've got 38 collections. I think about a half of them are under 
under the 150 gig mark. Uh, so they're super easy to bring in, uh, but the rest bigger than so it's going to be, um, yeah, lots of SQL Server type. Cool. And what if they if they have uh, XAML builds? Those get ah, transferred. Those those get transferred just just the same. They work uh, just the same. Um, once you get them up to uh, VSTS, uh, there are some caveats around getting the agents to talk to VSTS because that is different now. Uh, so you're using a, a personal access token. Uh, to connect the agents to VSTS because VSTS obviously is in uh, Azure AD and on-premise you're using Active Directory. Uh, so you need to make sure that everything's lined up uh, uh, for that. Um, but it, it's perfectly possible to get that working. And then once you've done it once, it's, it's pretty easy to, to to roll that out. So you can run your XAML builds in uh, uh, VSTS. But I think they're going away soon. Martin, do you know when the deadline is for that? I don't, I'm afraid, no. So, so uh, right now, I believe you can get your XAML builds to work up there, uh, but they're going to stop you being able to register new XAML agents at some time. I think Brian Harry had a post on it. You'd need to uh, have a little search and find it. Uh, but he had a date when they're going to stop taking new uh, XAML build controller registrations in VSTS. Uh, I would assume if you were a really big customer, you could you could plead and they would allow you to have it, um, but they want XAML builds to go away. And the last question he had was um, th- they've made some tweaks to the work item templates. Yep. So, yeah, that's that's a, that's a super, super uh, uh, good question because uh, there are two uh, modes in VSTS for how your templates work. Uh, one is the inherited template, which if you've used VSTS, you'll know if you just create a team project in VSTS, you'll get an inherited template so you can go and make customizations in the GUI. Um, that doesn't support all of the customizations, but if you're importing your collection into VSTS, uh, you actually get what they call a, a, an XML template. Okay, and you can imagine what that is. So it's just like on-premise, except you don't get uh, with admin. With admin no longer works. Uh, you go into the, the web interface, uh, you download the entire template in its entirety, uh, the whole process template, you make changes to it, and then you upload the whole process template. Uh, and as long as the GUIDs match up where they should, uh, then it overwrites. And all of the team projects, this is one of the advantages in VSTS. Um, on-premise, you create an instance, which is a team project, and then you have to go manually update the process template on a continuous basis. But in VSTS, uh, if you update the XAML and upload it in, all of the team projects that are associated with that process uh, get the same uh, layout. They get the updates right away, which is kind of nice. Cool. Well, we're coming. We're running long. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's been fascinating, though. It's been great, yeah. I, I, have more, I have more answers if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, I have to be very um, selfish here. I've been trying. When I went to the MVP Summit, they talked. I heard professional Scrum developer a bunch. I just heard yep. that term PSD just just thrown out everywhere, uh, and I've been trying to sell my team, get my you know fellow devs excited, and get every get everybody excited, and they're all like, eh, eh, I don't, I don't care. It sounds like Scrum class, and you know, Scrum is Scrum. Um, what is it really, and and why should like a .NET development team? Why should they do it? So the professional Scrum developer course was actually originally built in conjunction between Microsoft. And uh, Scrum.org uh, it was uh, uh, Ken Schwaber and Sam Guggenheimer worked together on that one. And they wanted to create a training uh, that helped people understand not just how to use the product, but how to really use the product. Um, from 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 you know Microsoft's perspective and from Scrum.org's perspective, we we need to we need to have a course that shows developers how to do their day to day job. How how what do they need to know in order to do their day to day job in this this new world of delivering more frequently? Um, so the professional Scrum developer course was born, and it was actually it was originally a five day course. It's a three day now. It was a five day before, and the five day included Scrum. The three-day, the course that you've been looking at, Greg, doesn't actually mm-hmm. include a lot to do with Scrum. Okay. So I think I think we spend two hours, two hours on going <laughs> over the Scrum framework, and that's it uh-huh. for the whole the whole three days. The rest of it is uh, is engineering practices. Okay. So what what are the so remember I mentioned the PSF, the Foundations course, right? And you we build software in that course. That's a two-day course. That's the two days at the front of the PSD that used to be the Scrum part. And it's greenfield software. 
in the, okay. the PSF. Right. So that's super easy. Greenfield software is easy. <laughs> uh, but in the, the, the PSD, it's brownfield software. So I, as the trainer, pick the piece of software that your team's going to work on. Mm-hmm. And generally, I'll bring web if you're a web team, or I'll bring uh, Java if you're a Java team, or I'll bring uh, .NET if you're a, you know, uh, an app if you're an app team. Right. Uh, and, and I'll actually send your team the, the, the code two weeks before the class and say, look, here's what we're going to work on. 90% of people don't even look at it. Yeah, they don't even look, but it's Brownfield. It's a horrible piece of code that's got bad architecture, that's got uh, lots of bugs in it. And then I'm going to give you a backlog at the start of the class, and we have to actually physically work through it in the class. We've got to dive into the the, the software. We've got to fix bugs. uh, But along the way, that's part of the journey. Along the way, uh, you learn TDD, emergent architecture. Uh, we talk about the solid principles. Uh, we go into the tools. And if it's a .NET class, uh, which is not all .NET, Greg. It's not all mm-hmm. a .NET class. Uh, I, I teach the .NET flavor, uh, but there's also a Java flavor and a white box, uh, which I know has been taught in Python and Perl and all kinds of things. Um, but along the way, learn how to use the features of the, 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 the tool um, and, and how to get the most out of uh, your, your tools and process and practices together to build working software. Yeah. Cool. So is it like, you would, is it a DevOps class or just the dev of the DevOps or? It's so, or... De- de- we call it developer in Scrum means all the people on the team. Uh-huh. Uh, so it gets stuff about it, it's got lots of stuff around testing and automation uh, um, and, and and all of those good things. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a DevOps class. I, 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 it is DevOpsy because we talk, we do build, we do talk about release, we talk about uh, uh, all of those uh, good things that we need for that. Right. Uh, but it, it's about building more software and working our way through the quagmire of uh, Brownfield rather than shipping the final product at the end, if that kind of makes sense. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I do get each team up. We do four, we do four sprints in the class. Uh, on the software, and I get the teams up to demonstrate working software to everybody else in the class every sprint. So uh, it's pretty high pressure. Wow, so you actually have to do, like, work in this class? Oh, I don't know if I like that. Oh, yeah. Same, same, as, same <laughs> as the one, the PSF that I mentioned. It's it, People come up and demo working software at the end of every iteration, and I don't want to see it if it's not working software. I send them away if it's not working. <laughs> Can we just show you a slide deck? No, no, I don't want to see any slide decks. Working <laughs> software is the only thing that matters. It's pretty cool. All right, so we're coming to the end of the show. Is there anything that we should have asked you but didn't? Yes, you should have asked me what my uh, favorite feature that nobody knows about in VSTS in VSTS is uh, oh, because I do have I have, one for you. <laughs> I do have one for you. It's a a little feature called test impact analysis. Yeah. Have you heard of test impact analysis? No, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote the original out. chapter in the book on yeah. it, but there we go. That yeah. was a long, long time ago. Yes. So the, the old test impact analysis was ripped out because it was rubbish, apparently. Okay. It, was, it was really good for us consultants because we could sell TFS based on it. Um, but it was it, users found it very difficult to get it working, and it, it was a little bit flaky, and uh, people didn't like it. Anyway, uh, so it was ripped out. Uh, but it's back with a vengeance. Uh, test impact analysis uh, goes as part of uh, as part of your build, your automated build, and it analyzes uh, the code paths that are hit while tests are being executed. Yeah, so okay. it collect it collects a, a a a list of all for each test. Here's all the paths through the code that are hit, and then when you do a new build, it checks to see whether any of the paths that have changed go through the paths for the tests and only runs the tests that are impacted by those uh, um, those changes. Mm. And then you can set it up so that once every 50 builds, it will run the full regression to create a new baseline. So you've got one in, one in 50 builds is really long. But if you've got you know an hour of unit tests, I'm not saying they're all unit tests if they're taking an hour, but if you've got an hour of tests, uh, then you could dramatically reduce the number of tests you have to run and make your builds a lot quicker. So that's that my, my that's my favorite feature. Right. Yeah, I remember I remember them talking about that at the summit, but I'd forgotten about it. That's yeah. good. So that makes your tests unit tests viable in your CI builds versus your like nightly build. Exactly. It means you can bring a lot more tests and a lot more checks into. It has to be on managed code though. That's the only thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
there's some talk around how to bring that to other parts of the code base, like what happens if we hit stored procedures database. Mm. Uh, but I'll leave that smarter heads to go figure out how to make that readiness <laughs> happen. How can people uh, connect with you? Uh, they can use uh, my, well, I'm on Twitter, Mr. Okay. Hitch on Twitter. Um, I, and I have a, a, a webpage for my, my company, nkdagility.com. Um, and I, I, I welcome people to email me, like the, the guys emailing you with questions. If people have questions, uh, they can email me. And I would guess they can email you as well, Greg, and, and you would pass that on. And if you want to send us an email, radiotfs.outlook.com. You can do Twitter at Radio TFS. We're on Facebook as well, slash Radio TFS. Voicemail. Remember, if it's safe for work, we'll play it on the air. So you could be like a co-host here on Radio TFS. The number is one four two five two three three eight three seven nine. Martin, thank you a lot for being on and, and dealing with the scheduling, juggling and stuff. I really appreciate that. Well, it was absolutely my pleasure. All right. And uh, the other Martin? <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being on we, we we've missed you it's been a while since you've been on huh yeah indeed uh, hopefully i'll make a habit of it now so uh, there we go but yeah i guess we should finish this the proper way mine so uh uh from the two martins it's it's good night from me and it's good night from him good night